All right, let's go to Acts 28. Christopher, I, I've got some hum up here. It's a little loud for me, so if you can maybe do away with this speaker here, that'd be great. Uh, uh, some of us travel, and uh, there are travel magazines. This is one of them, Condé Nast Traveler. Uh, does anybody subscribe to it? Nobody. All right. But anyways, they have their Reader's Choice Awards. And so they asked their readers to vote on, you know, what is the greatest spa or the best restaurant. And one of the awards is given to the best cities. Actually, it's the friendliest cities in the U.S. And what do you think is number one? Eh, wrong. Now, we have won it. A number of times we've won it. But this past year, in 2020, it was Greenville, South Carolina. Boo, who's saying boo? <laughs> and we came in second. Friendliest city in the United States. Hospitality. We've all heard of Southern hospitality, right? Qualities such as politeness, Good home cooking, kindness, charm, and charity, helpfulness. And Twitty, which is a vacation rental site, lists which states rank highest for Southern hospitality. So, what state do you think ranks highest for Southern hospitality? If you're thinking South Carolina, you're wrong. All right, I'll give you a heads up. It's number four, number one state. Georgia uh, really outperforms all the others. Georgia, Southern hospitality. Let's turn this to Acts chapter 28. In fact, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. I'm not sure I see people opening their Bibles. I hope we're all opening our Bibles to Acts 28. And take out your notes. And as Jack already mentioned, my sermon is titled Malta to Rome. Extraordinary kindness. And so we're going to see this last leg of Paul's journey from Malta up to Rome. And remember, we were with him, and in this bad storm, he went some, oh, 500 miles off course, out of the way. But our passage today focuses on hospitality. Now, isn't that interesting? But that, that is a clear emphasis of Luke as he's writing. He's talking about hospitality. The, the, the extraordinary kindness that is shown to Paul and his traveling companions on the island of Malta as they're on their way to Rome, but after this bad shipwreck. So extraordinary kindness, hospitality. How many are up for learning some new things about hospitality? If your hand's not up, why is your hand not up? <laughs> I would hope we'd all say, I, I want to learn what Scripture has to say about this very, very, very important topic. Transformational. If not for you as the one who's hospitable, those you are hospitable to. So let's talk about context. Where are we at? We, we went through a whole chapter last Sunday, chapter 27. 
And Paul is on this ship bound from Caesarea to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And they encounter this no small storm. That's what Luke says. And they lose all hope. Verse 20, no small storm was assailing us. And from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And so this long chapter, some 44 verses, the the first half of it is this build-up to the fact that they all lost hope. We saw that last Sunday. And in that context where they have no hope, Paul has a visit from an angelic being and, and is told to take courage. That's verse 22. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage... Paul speaking to those on the boat, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong, whom I also serve, came to me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has graciously granted you all those who are sailing with you. And so they're at this place of no hope, but an angelic being brings a message from God. God promises to deliver you all, have her courage, take hope, and notice verse 44. How does the chapter end? How does the, no, notice your, your, your Bible, verse 44. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. And so what God promised, he fulfilled. So take courage. Yeah. So Luke's two big ideas. In chapter 27, no hope. Second idea, take courage. Remember we did that. I I led you as a cheerleader. This side said no hope. And that side said take courage. Remember that? Yeah. All right, that brings us to chapter 28. Paul on the island of Malta. Notice verse 1. When they had been brought safely through... Then we found out that the island was called Malta. When they had been brought safely through, it will interest you that that is actually only one word in the Greek text. Dia sozo. Dia sozo. Dia through sozo save. It's a passive participle, so it's this idea when they had been brought safely through. No, no, we may just motor right on past that. All right, they've been brought safely through. Uh, There's a good site that you can go to for your Bible study. I'll recommend it called Precept Austin. Anybody go to Precept Austin? All right, write it down. Because if you do Bible study, it has this running commentary on the text. So it's really helpful. Precept Austin, write it down for your Bible study. And, And this is what they say When they had been brought safely through, notice the passive voice of brought safely through. Passive voice means that they are being acted on. They're passive. They're being acted on. This voice being referred to as the what? The divine passive. In other words, they were brought safely through not by applying their nautical skills per se, but ultimately because of the sovereignty of God, who through his angel had promised Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. And Paul speaks, therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on a certain island. Isn't that a neat idea? This divine passive? 
That God is acting upon their life just as he had promised. Divine sovereignty, providence of God, hand of God. Isn't that neat? Last Sunday we talked about courage. Where does courage come from in the midst of our storms? And the big idea I made was that courage comes from knowing God is with us and knowing the promises of the God who is with us. The God who said to Isaiah, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you with what? My righteous hand of righteousness. My strong hand of righteousness. That's where hope comes from. Understanding the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the hand of God in our lives. Isn't that great? That's that's where we live as the people of God. And sometimes, even as the song we sang, all of that is hidden behind the darkness. We grapple with that, but the sovereign hand of God. In fact, in, in in your notes, this isn't in your Bible, this is a poem by by Shel Silverstein. Obviously, he's Jewish, isn't he, Silverstein? But, but he writes children's poetry, and he's got a neat little poem titled, What If? What If? Notice it. It's there in your notes if you can read it. I've got it in a very small font, I know. But he said, last night, well, I lay thinking here, some what ifs crawled inside my ear. And pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what if song. What if I'm dumb in school? What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I get beat up? What if there's a poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I flunk that test? What if green hair grows on my chest? What if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't get to grow tall? What if my head starts getting small? What if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears up my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems so swell. And then the nighttime what if strike again. That's you and me. It may be a children's poem, but in the storms of life, we have all kinds of what-ifs that crawl inside our ear. Don't we? Don't you? I I can have that. In the storms of life, these what-ifs. What if they they don't get better? What what if we can't afford this? What if we can't find help? What if, what if, what if, what if? And so the issue for us becomes oftentimes in life or for those we love, where, where do we anchor? Where, where do we anchor in life storms? We anchor by knowing that God, the God who is with us, and knowing the promises of the God who is with us. That, that great old hymn, we have an anchor that keeps the soul, how does it go? Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. That's where we anchor. Who our God is, the greatness of our God, the heavens declare the glory. He is so great, the created order. He is so good, the cross tells us that, right? And that's where we anchor in life's storms, knowing the God who is with us, knowing the promises of the God who is with us. Yeah. 
All right, back to Acts 28. And we're going to be taking some tangents this morning. But Paul and his companions, after the shipwreck, land safely on this little island of Malta. It's south of Italy, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a small island, 17 miles long, 9 miles across. So some 122 square miles. I bet you that's not even the size of Charleston County. Charleston County, anybody know how many square miles in Charleston County? It's got to be more than that. It's just this small little island. And the Roman official is Publius. And, and we're going to read about him in just a little bit. So the ship crashes on Molten. And what happens? Well, notice what happens. Verse 2. When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. Natives, the Greek word barbaros, from which we get barbarian. All right, it's an onomatopic word. It's a word that's spoken. It gives us a sense of what it means. Barbas was the sense of a Greek or a Roman when they heard somebody speak and they didn't speak Greek. Well, they sounded like a barbarian, barbar. That was the language, almost like barbar, barbar, bar. that's what it sounded like. Yeah. They weren't uncivilized. They weren't necessarily uneducated. They just didn't speak the language of Greek. And so we read that these natives showed extraordinary kindness. And how did they do that? Well, they kindled the fire. And I think we can conjecture that they provided some food for them, don't you think? They kindled the fire, probably provided some food, maybe some shelter. And the word here, extraordinary kindness, the word kindness is philanthropos. Actually, philanthropia. Philo means what? Love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Love and then anthropos is man. And so philanthropy, that's where we get our term from. This, this Greek word, a philanthropist is what? Is one who loves people. Who shows kindness to others. And so that's exactly what is happening they showed extraordinary kindness, philanthropy to them. And it's interesting, we find the same word used in verse 7. Notice verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading men of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. So Publius, the leader of that island, the Roman leader, welcomed them and he entertained them. It doesn't mean he played his harp or whatever. He provided food and shelter for them for some three days. And he entertained us. How? Courteously. That's the word philanthropos. All right? He, he showed this kindness. And so these two ideas, this word used twice, is bringing an emphasis by Luke, the extraordinary kindness, the courteous entertainment of those on Malta. That, that's Luke's emphasis. Right? That, that, that's what stood out to him. 
When they arrived on that island, the, the courtesy, the extraordinary kindness of the Maltese people, and then the leader as, as he entertained them courteously for three days. In one word, we could probably call that what? Hospitality, isn't it? Hospitality. Now, that's a big idea in our passage, and it's a big idea in our New Testament hospitality. In Romans chapter 12, as Paul is starting to apply the gospel message practically to their lives, Paul says this, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, and then verse 13 Contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Uh, Philozenia, so it's the same word, love, but xenia is stranger. So it speaks of this, this idea of hospitality is, is loving strangers. And so hospitality is, is broadly and properly understood by us as caring for the needs of the saints. That's what he says in verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, even towards strangers. This extraordinary kindness towards saints and strangers alike. Hospitality. Hebrews 13, and I don't know if I have this in your notes, 1 Peter 4, 9, Peter writes about hospitality. Did you know it's a requirement for leadership in the church, for elders? They're being hospitable. They're entertaining folks, caring for them. But Hebrews 13, let love of the brethren continue. There's that idea, love of the brethren. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Isn't that interesting? Uh, our writer is, is wanting to motivate us, isn't he? Isn't that why he would include that idea? Uh, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. Wouldn't you like to entertain an angel? Uh, the most of you, a few of you, is like, yeah, that, that'd be pretty neat. Especially if they made themselves known. Anybody ever feel that way? I've, I've entertained an angel. Oh, I see one hand up there, a couple of hands. I'm running with this idea of hospitality. I think it's important for us to understand, especially even thinking of us as a church of where, where, where fellowship is emphasized. Amen. How many of us have ever heard of what is referenced as the Rebecca Principle? The Rebecca Principle. I'm saying a number of things this morning that, that you're not aware of. I can make some stuff up when I talk of these things then. You don't have any idea. The Rebecca principle. It's this idea of never stick to the expected. Go beyond. Go beyond the expected. Go the extra mile. To turn in your Bibles to, to Genesis chapter 24. I think I have a picture here of Rebecca watering camels. In Genesis chapter 4, Abraham wants a wife for his son Isaac. And so he sends his servant, Eleazar, to Mesopotamia to find a wife from among 
Well, that's where Abraham was from. I hate to say relatives. We don't want to send things. Oh, he's going to marry his cousin, but from relatives. Right? And so Eliezer gets there. And as you can imagine, he's got to grapple with, well, I'm going there to find a wife. How am I going to know who to pick? Isn't that, that's just a very practical question, is it? Who am I going to pick? And so he prays. Now notice, this is verse 14 or 13. He, he prays to God, grant me success, verse 14 of chapter 24. Now may it be that the girl to whom I am say, please let down your jar so that I might drink. And who answers, drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. So when I get there and come to a well, may the gal who says, let me give you a drink, and by the way, I'll water your camels for you. What are they doing? What is she doing? This gal is going to distinguish herself. How? By going above and beyond what's expected, by showing extreme hospitality. Isn't it? That's what he's looking for, that kind of heart towards strangers. And notice what happens. Chapter 24, verse 15, and it came about before he'd finished speaking. He's, he doesn't even have the prayer out of his mouth. And behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Malchah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. And the young woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. Remember, that was the question he was going to ask. And notice what happens. And she said, drink, my Lord. And then she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. And now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will also draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all of his camels. And meanwhile, the man, Eliezer, was taking a close look at her in silence to find out whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Eliezer has to be sitting there watching Rebekah, kind of wondering, is this the gale? And almost amazed that it seems like she's the first one he speaks to. And she says, let me give you a drink and let me water your camels. Now, what makes this stand out? Why am I bringing us here? Because a little bit of background, Eliezer, we're told earlier on, had 10 camels. And from what I've read, a camel at the end of the day will drink 20 gallons of water. 10 times 20, you do the math. What is it? Come on now, 200. And if Rebecca had a five-gallon pot, five into 200 is how many? 40. You didn't know this is a math test. And so she made some 40 trips probably to the well and back to the trough to water Eliezer's camels. Probably took her an hour or two. And so Rebecca went beyond expectations. That was the very thing that Eliezer was looking for from a young lady to distinguish her. She went over the top and by her hospitality distinguished herself, and ended up becoming the bride of Isaac. Yeah. And this one through whom the great promises of God would find her continued fulfillment. Wow. 
Now you know the Rebecca principle. And it's a great one. Go beyond expectations. When you just go up to expectations, people nod their head and they say, that's nice. But when you go above and beyond expectations, here is the showing hospitality, and that's what we're talking about. People stand back and they marvel. I do. I, I have started to give tips. I had some work done on my pool recently. They raised the concrete, and the guys were nice. They did a great job. I gave them a 20 buck tip. Why, 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 why? Because I was impressed by these two gentlemen who came, these construction guys, and went, it seemingly, above and beyond my expectations. We're taking that to hospitality. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And notice what happens with Paul and Publius when Publius shows this extraordinary kindness, this hospitality. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. And look at the outcome. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. Uh, this is an example of what I'm talking about. Publius shows Paul hospitality. He didn't have to show Paul hospitality. Paul was a prisoner under the Romans, and yet Publius, this Roman leader, shows hospitality to him and his companions. And Paul, as he's in Publius' house, finds out that Publius' dad is sick and heals him. Oh, isn't that great? Because Publius showed extraordinary kindness, welcomed and entertained him courteously. I'm not making too much of this. I'm not making too much of this idea of hospitality and going beyond what is expected. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. In fact, let me push you a little bit further on this. And maybe I fear I'm having the hardest time with our men. Women, I think, understand hospitality more. I just tend to think of them as more gifted in that area. But, but it isn't just a woman thing. It's a man and woman thing. Isn't it this hospitality? Right? Yeah. But, but in Luke 14, go to your New Testaments now, Luke 14. Jesus is at the home of a wealthy Pharisee. And Jesus is watching the guests pick their seats. And he notices that they want to pick the seats of honor at this banquet. And so he speaks into that. He challenges that. And he says, really, what you should do is pick a lower seat and have the host bring you up to a higher position and honor you. And in fact, it's verse 13 where he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, so when you come to a banquet, you know, they, they don't find the best seat. Sit lower and let the host honor you. That's interesting, isn't it? But then he goes on and he speaks to the host. And notice what he says to the host. And he went on also to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. 
But when you give a reception, when you have a party, when you have a Super Bowl party, maybe, we could put that in there. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Oh, Jesus takes his whole idea of hospitality and absolutely blows our minds with it. Because he says the tendency for us in the area of hospitality is to have our friends and our family members over. And they repay our kindness to them. And Jesus says you need to go beyond that. He's good at calling us to the beyond that, isn't he? And he says when you have a party or when you do something like that, go ahead and invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. That's the kind of person to have in. Isn't that something? Doesn't that stretch us? When we think of hospitality, because our tendency is just to fall into that. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have friends and, and relatives in. That's, he's not saying that's wrong, but we need to go beyond that. We need to love those who aren't going to repay us. Why? Because God really takes notice of that. God's impressed with that. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Big idea, hospitality. I've really pushed it hard, haven't I? Yeah. Let's jump down in our passage to verse 11. So we're jumping ahead a bit. We're going to finish with this last paragraph. Notice verse 11. And where's Michael Mott? He's next door. I'm passing over that story about the snake. Verses 3 through. How many of us know Michael Mott and that he loves snakes? He's going to be mad at me because I didn't cover that story. So you protect me. But verse 11, at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship. So they're on Malta, three months. It had wintered at the island and had the twin brothers for its figurehead. It had a couple of Greek gods as its figurehead, the gods Castor and Pollux. They were considered to be gods who protected sailors. So they've got this, this figurehead on their boat of these Greek gods to protect them. Verse 12, and after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we sailed around and arrived at Phrygium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up. And the second day we came to Patoli. And now they're on land and they're going to walk the rest of the way. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for several days. And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to greet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Verse 14, and thus we came to Rome. It almost sounds so anticlimactic, doesn't it? It just, it just kind of rolls off the page and hits the ground. It's like, and thus we came to Rome. But this is huge. This is this was where Paul wanted to end up. Thus we came to Rome. It, it was the center of the empire, a metropolitan, a metropolitan area of some one million people. These magnificent buildings. Thus we came to Rome. Oh, I can't but help imagine is maybe they came over the hill and, and, and as they're walking to Rome and Paul gets his first glimpse of the city. Oh, maybe his heart just skipped a beat. Rome. 
Rome. I'm in Rome. Because that was the outcome of his prayer and his plannings and his longings. He wanted to end up in Rome. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He did not found the church. He's writing to the church. And he has this to say. This is about three years previous to this. He's on his third missionary journey. So about three years previous to this, he writes to this church. And this is what he says, verse 8 of Romans 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you in my prayers. Always in my prayers, making requests. What do you pray for, Paul, regarding Rome? If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you. I've been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. And he goes on from there. But, but we see here then, do we not, as Paul speaks of coming to Rome, it, it was a, a part of his prayer. I, I, I longed to come to Rome. It was, it was of his longings. I longed and I, I even planned to come to Rome, but have been prevented time after, evidently after a time. And now Paul is in Rome. Just amazing. We, we can't sense hardly the excitement that had to be a part of, of his thinking and his heart and his emotions as, as he's been longing to come to Rome, and now he's there. We just got to appreciate the, the, the life of Paul and his story. And it's so interesting he got there. But when he wrote Romans 1, he never envisioned how he'd get there, did he? Probably had no idea that it's going to be as a prisoner of Rome after going through a bad storm and shipwreck, I end up there. And I've gotten my notes. Isn't that how God oftentimes works? as he fulfills our plans and our desires and our longings in ways we never dreamed. And that's how Paul ended up in Rome. Isn't that how God works? Think of Joseph. You know, made known to him, you're, you're gonna, your brothers are going to bow down to you. Do you think Joseph, in his wildest imagination, ever thought, that I am going to be sold by my brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, spend years in prison, and through all of that rise to a position of prominence. You think that was ever, 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 ever in his thoughts? No. It had been made known to him, that's where you're going to be. And let me say this, when it comes to our gifting and our using our gifting and God's transforming us into the image of his son, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that God is going to take you places you never dreamed you would go. Never. My major when I was at Michigan State was fisheries and wildlife biology. I want to be a biologist. 
Fishers, I love the outdoors, still love the outdoors. I never dreamed the path God would take me on and bring me into ministry. Huh? And you have the same stories. It's kind of like, boy. And, and so in the midst of the storms and in the midst of the challenges, I beg with you, don't quit. Don't give up. Because that's all a part of the sovereign hand of God, the activity of God as he brings us to the purposes for our lives. And we see that with Paul. We see that with Joseph. We see that with David, these different biblical characters. Think of the disciples as they were looking for the reign of the Messiah. They never thought that it was going to be through the death of Jesus on the cross. They had a hard time grasping that God is going to fulfill his purposes for your lives and for mankind through the death of his son on the cross. God surprises us, doesn't he? Amen. So don't be surprised by the surprises. Yeah. Let's finish up. In fact, that it's a good segue to talk about encouragement. Now notice verse 15. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from as far away as the market of Appius and the three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And so Paul is in Rome, and while he's there, these brothers and sisters from churches outside of Rome, Rome Appius evidently was some 40 miles, three inns was some 30 miles. So how long would it take in that day to walk 40 miles? Right? Maybe a couple days' journey. You'd probably spend the night at, at some inn someplace. And they come to Paul as he's at Rome. And, and so there's a sense that, that even though there's the excitement that I described, that there's this hesitation and questioning in Paul's mind and heart. Right? You been there? We've all been there as God works out his purposes. So, so there's this excitement maybe of things that are happening, but this questioning and these brothers and sisters come alongside him and encourage him. And, and I want to end making that emphasis. Again, making that emphasis because we talked about that last Sunday. Remember Paul on the boat in the storm clearly encouraged those on the boat. And here Paul, it's reciprocated to him. He's in Rome and he receives this encouragement. Actually, he received it at Malta. In 1 Samuel 23, if you want to turn there, Old Testament story. 1 Samuel 23, David is fleeing from Saul. He'll flee for how many years? Eight, nine, ten years on the run. God, I, I never knew when I was anointed king by Samuel way back then that it would mean eight years on the run. I never thought my path to the throne would include this. And so he's eight, some, some eight years or so, maybe more, maybe a little bit less, on the run. And he is in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. Let me show you a picture of the wilderness of Ziph. It looks kind of like that. All right? <laughs> Maybe we can go through some challenges if we got a nice soft bed and a faucet we can get a little bit of water out of and a meal in the refrigerator. But when you're living in terrain like this with some 600 other men who you had to know that some of them were grumblers and complainers, right? It's got a, what did you get us into, David? Right? And so David needs encouragement. Saul is pursuing him. And, and notice what we read, verse 15 of chapter 23. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. 
And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at horse and encouraged. Would you say that little phrase with me? And encouraged him in God. And encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, David, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. And you will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed at Horus while Jonathan went to his house. And so Jonathan comes alongside David and does what he encourages him in God. As if to say, David, God is in this. In fact, that's what he says. Don't be afraid. My father, the hand of my father Saul will not find you. So, so he's assuring David of the promises of God to bring him to the throne. And Jonathan even goes on and humbles himself and says, look, I'll be at your right hand. You're going to rule. And, and Jonathan even humbles himself. And so David is encouraged to go on, to persevere. Yeah. And even what happens at the end of this chapter, you can go home and read it a little bit later. They're, they're in this wilderness near Ziph, and, and the people are going to turn David in. And God miraculously delivers him. Wow. The tongue is the power of life and death. How often have I said that? Put it on my epitaph. Uh, yeah, I'm going to run out of tombstone space, <laughs> probably, <laughs> with this whole passage and this and pictures of my grandkids, all that kind of stuff. There's a humorous story told, obviously not a true story, but of a president of the United States visiting a nursing home. So he's visiting this nursing home and he enters a facility, he's got this whole entourage and He's received with delight by all these elderly residents. The president of the United States, in that context, he went from person to person in the living area, and he noticed a woman in a wheelchair who seemed disinterested, just disinterested. And so, so the president approaches this older lady in a wheelchair, and he smiles, he pats her on the shoulder, and squeezes her frail hand, and she looks up at him and smiles and doesn't say a word. And so the president asked, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And her response was no. But if you'll ask the lady at the nurse's station over there, she'll tell you. Huh? <laughs> we all forget who we are around here. And, and she'll help you out. She'll tell you who you are. We are in need of people, are we not? who tell us who we are in Jesus Christ. They're those who help us in the storms of life, and they come alongside, just like Paul. Isn't that an interesting way it ends? Paul, at this final destination, which he was so excited to be in Rome, but he still needed encouragement. And repeatedly throughout the book of Acts, the great apostle Paul needed encouragement. And we all find our places there, sometimes in great ways, sometimes in lesser ways. But we need a word of encouragement. Oh, a word fitly spoken. Amen? So our passage really is all about uh, the relationships we had. It's all about fellowship. It's all about hospitality, going the extra mile, going beyond the expected. You want to be a person of impact? No, I'm... I, I, I've worked in a factory, and I'm, I'm going totally all, whatever, off notes. And just, I worked in a factory when I was going to college. And you know what the mindset in the factory with the other guys was? What can I get by with? So they'd have quotas, and if they just reached their quota, that's all they needed to do. 
I worked with a gentleman all the time. His name was Tom Jones, the same name as the singer. He, he, wasn't, he was a Pentecostal holiness preacher. But we would blow those marks off. We just would be way beyond, maybe 150, 175%. Now, the other guys and gals didn't like it. Right? Hey, you know, what are you doing? You know, we're only supposed to do 10 an hour, and you're doing 15 an hour. You're making us look bad doing 10 an hour. But you know what? We distinguished ourselves. We distinguished ourselves. These are hard workers. These guys got a good attitude. And that's the way it is in another person's life when it comes to hospitality. My encouragement, not just when it comes to hospitality, but that's our passage, it's just in life. Go above and beyond. Nobody recognizes normal or average. They recognize the person who has a hard attitude, who says, I'm going to do my best at this. And we distinguish ourselves. Father, we give you praise. Your word is so beautiful, such a delight. And it's so practical. And so we thank you. We thank you for Luke as he traveled with Paul and was able to tell us about Paul and his heart and how you worked and how you worked through difficult circumstances and the things that stood out like extraordinary kindness are the encouragement of other believers. Father, we, we want to learn these lessons because we want to be people who do stand out in a very positive way. As your word says, let your good works be seen by men that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. May our good works abound. Father, would you continue to faithfully work in our lives this week because we need the prodding of your spirit on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to live as you would have us live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.